Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Crazy Money. I am happy that you are here. Yes, you, you who just dropped her kids off at school, you, he who is taking a walk and thinking about life in general, just looking for a distraction while you get your steps in, you who are on the treadmill, you who are working in the garden, whoever you are, tending your crops, your zucchini, your tomatoes, your early, I guess it's a little early for all that, but uh, somewhere out there, you're doing yard work, you're listening to Crazy Money to help the time go by, and I'm glad you're here. I've got a great guest to share with you today. You might have seen his cooking show called Struggle Meals on the network Taste Made. His name is Chef Frankie Salenza, and he is an Emmy Award-winning host of that show, which is also an Emmy Award winner. Yes, both individuals and shows can win Emmy Awards, and both have done so in this case. Why is Struggle Meals relevant to crazy money, you might ask? Well, he's a passionate believer that cooking is a great way to help people take control of their health, their well-being, and finances. You might say that's part of the mission here. But not only that, cooking is fun and it's social. It's an act of service and love, and it's something all of us should do more of. And as I watched the episodes that Taste Made share with me of Struggle Meals, you just fall in love with the guy. Frankie's an infectious personality. He really cares about what he does, and he makes you want to cook. He basically shows you, look how easy this is. All you got to do is open this bag here and that bag there and put these three things together in functions that almost anybody can do. And you put it in the oven for a certain amount of time and you come out, what do you got? You got love. You got love. You got an economical meal that is nutritious and good. And he helps us find ways to save money in the ways we shop, in the ways we outfit our kitchens and all that kind of stuff. In this episode, Frankie and I talk about the benefits of attending boarding school. Yes, the guy who produces and stars in Struggle Meals went to boarding school. We'll talk about that. We talk about what it was like to work for Mario Batali, him, not me. We talk about his thoughts on Netflix movie The Menu and Hulu's great show The Bear, what his favorite books on food and cooking are, the essential basics to outfit a kitchen, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, whether and when organic food is worth it. I know you'll enjoy it. This is Frankie Salenza. How's it going? Yeah, it's going great. I'm getting little tastes of spring. Where are you today? I'm in Connecticut. I moved to Connecticut. I left my hometown of New York. This is funny. You produced a show called Struggle Meals, but I read that you went to the Kent School, which is a very posh boarding school in Connecticut. So what's the what's the background, Frankie? Yeah. First of all, I'm not a trust fund kid. I did go to school with those kids. They all take everything 80% of the way, then go, I don't have to do this. I can just go down to my third house in Palm Beach and chill. So it was nice being around them and seeing how the 1% live. But I don't know. I just, I, I turned 14 and I, I remember this girl running down the hallway of my middle school and she's like, I got into Kent. I was like, what the hell is that? And then I like <laughs> looked it up and I'm like, oh, People don't just get sent away for being bad. They can go because they want to. And then I looked into it and I'm like, this sounds like college four years earlier. Right. I begged my dad. He wasn't into it. Then I got in and he was very angry with me for wanting to go. He's like, why do you want to leave this family? It was actually the beginning of our beautiful bond that we have now. And then he came back the next day and he's like, I just spoke to someone who went to boarding school and they really loved it. Listen, I definitely would not be on the path I'm on today without that. When I got to college, everyone was leaving home for the first time. I felt like I had such a leg up. I highly recommend it. Like, more so than college, spend your money on boarding school. What did it do for you? I mean, it gave me total independence. It made me learn how to do things for myself. If I left my room a mess, it was a mess. 
on the food side, I got seven George Foreman grills taken away from me <laughs> what? while I was there. In your room, you had George Foreman grills? Yeah, and like, you know, kids would smoke illicit drugs out the windows with a window fan, but I was venting my George Foreman grill out the window so they could smell, you know, high-fat beef. And they were like, Frankie's cooking again. What made you feel compelled to have a grill in your room? Because there were two options. It's the uh, dining hall for all three meals or like the crappy deli from 1965 in town. So you started like a shawarma stand in your in your dorm room. I pretty much just made burgers. And then my friend Mike was like, I got some marinade from the from the dining hall staff. And then we started like marinating things. And that was cool. I grew up in an Italian-American family. My grandparents cooked. My mom cooked every meal. It wasn't until I left home that I realized, oh, I actually enjoy really good food and this isn't it. So let me start cooking. How old were you when you actually started cooking like with purpose? Yeah, I think 15 because that's when I was at school. And it was just because you you had this great cooking at home, authentic home cooking. And then you go to school and it's just sort of like cafeteria bland stuff. And you're like, I need more. Yeah, I need more. And so I made a lot of burgers. And by, by my senior year, I'd actually gotten a charcoal grill. So that was a big upgrade. But I pretty much just made burgers. Where did you keep the grill? We just had a thing called Senior Beach, and you just left it outside like it was our property. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What resonated with you about cooking? What part of you felt like a connection with the process? <sighs> you know, it's so funny because I do struggle meals. It's an affordable cooking show, in my opinion. One of the best there is. 100 episodes deep now, by the way. Way to go, man. That's awesome. Now we're talking about boarding school, and I'm going to talk about multiple trips to Italy. <laughs> we're going to get to Struggle Meals, I promise. We're going to talk about the show. Which no, I'm, I'm just I'm, saying, I... the, the juxtaposition of the uh, of the two things is ironic, to say the least. Watching the Struggle Meals episodes that I've watched, you clearly have a great passion for the process of cooking. And so I want to know, like, where did that come from inside of you? How did that fire get lit? One, I want to eat great food, right? And then two was multiple trips to Italy on like a family friend's little boat. And we would go from port to port and Andrea would get all these ingredients that were different to each marina that we were in. And then he would just improvise dishes and every single one was the best thing I'd ever eaten in my life. My brother and I are both musicians. I went to school for music. He went to school for music. The parallels of improvising through jazz and blues and watching Andrea take these ingredients and then just making something up on the spot. That really like helped me catch the bug. I was like, oh, there's parallels. Obviously, there's many parallels in all of life, but that was the first time I saw it with my, you know, young brain at the time. Did you ever work formally in a kitchen or have one of those crazy chef experiences? I worked at a Mario Batali restaurant. You did. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I did it a little backwards. I had a local TV show on NYC TV first, uh, and it like expanded to a half hour show. And then when Mayor Bloomberg left, they cut the budget and I got fired. And then I also got kicked out of my building. So I walked into a restaurant. I was like, ah, this is the time to do it. And I was just like, I have never worked in a restaurant before, but I've done culinary school up to a certain point, And then I was like, this is a waste of time, but I was faster than all them. And I've cooked privately for a lot of people. I think you should hire me. And he did. Yeah. The first day, I just remember no one told me that you have to change the paper on the ticket machine and they really let it build up. And then I was very much in the weeds. 
Uh, and then the chef uh, came and like helped me get through the weeds, and then we got through and everything. But I was fast. I, oh, I said to him, "I only need to be told once. Whatever it is, oh. I only need to be told once. That's why you should hire me." How did that go? No, it went great. I was like, "Listen, I'm not going to know everything. I'm not going to be in sync. But you tell me something, you only have to tell me once." Right. And it's true. Anyway, at the end of the day, he said, "You exceeded all my expectations," and that was cool. What did you learn from he of the orange clogs and short pants in the kitchen? Oh, he was never on the line. I was actually working for Rob, Rob Zwerz. Uh, but Mario owned the restaurant. Listen, Rob was great. The whole crew was great. We showed up five, six times a week, depending on the week. At three o'clock, start doing your prep, go upstairs at a quarter to five, and then bang it out till 10, 10.30, 11, depending on what day it is. A lot of fun things happened. Like I remember the air conditioning broke once, the Dining room was 90 degrees and the kitchen was 120. That was pretty wild. I had to pee so bad that one time and like everyone was using the toilet. So I just went downstairs and then I, I filled up two quart containers. <laughs> and I just like hit it. I couldn't wait anymore. I'm like, my orders are coming in. I'm like waiting in line with the people. This is crazy. But that was how much hydration I was doing. I learned that you just do your job. I learned that a busy kitchen, as stressful as it is, is so much better than a kitchen where nothing is going on. And so I, I learned that, like, happiness is actually probably more than anything, and this goes for everything in life is what I've decided, is that uh, happiness is basically self-satisfaction brings happiness. If you're sitting there, and I earned $10 an hour when I worked there, but if you're sitting there and no orders are coming in, you start thinking to yourself, why am I doing this for $10 an hour? This is such a waste of time. Right. But if the orders are coming in like crazy and you can't keep on top of it and you start taking passion and you get into this, this movement of where everything is and you just bang them out and you get faster and more efficient, five hours goes like that. Yep. And at the end you go, that was great. So I waited tables and bus tables a lot for several different kinds of restaurants in my high school and college years. How do you maintain focus amidst all that chaos with all those orders flying at you, stuff coming back sometimes, you know, emergency situations, a waiter drops a plate or a whole tray? Like, how do you maintain your focus in the midst of all that, that fire? You just do it. I mean, that's the answer, right? Yeah. Every second you waste figuring out what you're doing is putting you further in the shits. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, you learn a lot, right? People expect everything. They want it now. Most people haven't worked in a restaurant. They don't understand. There's a lot of people absolutely busting their tuchus out there. Two times someone came into the kitchen with a gift before we ate a pack of beer. And someone brought their own cookies, which I thought was weird. But I picked up on that. I was like, oh, my goodness, we're getting recognition here. Because as you know, back of house doesn't get any tips. No. But on my days off, I would go to these other restaurants. I'd bring a six-pack before we sat down. The kitchen was like, oh, my God. You... And then, like, free dishes would come. Like, hey, I, work at, <laughs> I work at Lupa. It's my day off. I can't wait to try whatever. Right. And then my wife started doing it. She's like, yeah. i got to get a six-pack before. Now I don't know about giving people alcohol, uh, you know, because everyone's, yeah. But any gift is appreciated. So There's a lot of sharp knives back there. I'm not sure that's conducive to marinate with liquor True. before our shift. All right, where did the idea for Struggle Meals come from? I was with Tastemade. They just stumbled across me one day. Like I said, I was doing that early NYC TV stuff. They brought me out to California. We did a couple recipes. Actually, for a three-month period while I was working at the restaurant, I would also film three days a month 
for them in the morning, including for the restaurant birthday. No, for Tastemade. Oh, for Tastemade. What year did this start? With them, uh, we, the first thing we did was 2015, and then it like okay. really started picking up 2016. But on my 30th birthday, I worked from 8 to 3. We did eight recipes on camera in the Lower East Side. I hopped on my Vespa, and I went over to the restaurant, <laughs> and then I worked 3.30 until 11, and then that was my 30th birthday. And I was like, you will remember this. How did it come to be? I don't know. They were they were like, what's going to work? What are we doing? Someone comes in from the office and goes, hey, hashtag struggle meals is trending. We should build a show around that. And so they gave us that seed, and uh, we knew we wanted it to be highly engaging. We didn't want that second camera where, you know, I'm talking to you like this, and then it cuts to the other camera, and now it's like this, and I'm totally disengaged. I don't know if, if you've watched. You see how I go, ba 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 ba, and then I turn to yep. the other camera, and I'm still talking to you this way. I think that's good, because it goes with today's very low attention span, so we're able to cut a lot, but yet I've still got eye contact with you, so I'm keeping you engaged. Yeah, it basically just started with them saying, this is trending, let's make a show about it. What's the mission of the show? How do you know if you're achieving your goals? I mean, all you have to do is log into the Facebook group and uh, you can see that we're achieving the goals. We thought it would be for college kids or, or people just out of school, maybe. It's a lot of single moms, it's truck drivers, it's everybody. And especially now, like everyone, you know, food cost is right up. It's like house, car payment, slash medical food it's a big thing and it's the only one you can actually take some control of right so i'm just trying to give people i mean we've tried so many things over the years early on we would just take a focal ingredient and make four recipes with that ingredient to try to reduce waste because waste is the biggest place people save money they buy a sweet potato i don't know why i said sweet potato but they you know and then they'll use half of it i don't want any more sweet potato well, I'll take a sweet potato on struggle meals and I'll show you four dishes with it. Now you don't have to eat the same thing, even though you are eating the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and you'll get through it and reduce your waste. You know, I've watched several of the episodes and they're a lot of fun. And, you know, I was expecting it to be like hardcore budget this, budget that, penny this, penny that. And while there is that element, it's super fun. Like you're basically showing people how to experience joy with everyday common ingredients and say, you don't have to eat super high-end, crazy expensive stuff to have a very good, healthy meal, right? That is a great assessment, Paul. It is technique. It's a little bit of fearlessness. It's definitely repetition. Yeah. And more than anything, it's just getting an idea. So if we go back to Andrea improvising these dishes I was telling you about, if you're watching me and you go, I like that, but I don't like X, Y, and Z, go make your version of it then. There's no <laughs> rules here. And that's success if they go and do that. They don't have to make exactly what I'm making, but I want to show them all the different ways, all the different moist, dry, combination cooking methods. Really start to get them to think about the texture of something before and after so that they can achieve textural nirvana in addition to flavor nirvana. It's spring at last, and everywhere I look, there are luscious green veggies. And we can rejoice because Mother Earth is giving us her greenest veggies at the peak of flavor, which also happens to be when they're most affordable. We're going green today with tips for reducing waste. So with this one grocery haul, we're gonna use all this produce across three recipes. Do you think people just don't know where to start? They're afraid or they're just not, I don't wanna say they're not creative, but they're just sort of like, they just need a prompt to say, Go do this. Go grab this. And then the confidence comes when you just pull out the ingredients and start trying to put stuff together. Because that's what it feels like. You're trying to lower the barriers to entry to people wanting to try to cook. Totally. 
I mean, you can lead a horse to water. But at the same time, we have people that have been cooking their whole lives. I got a couple emails today saying, hey, I've learned so much. I got another one that said, uh, I don't cook, but I love watching you cook. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. But I have to do like multiple streams of information at the same time. It needs to appeal to the person that has never cooked anything and that I'm trying to get into the kitchen because that is the goal. And at the same time, it needs to be high level enough for, you know, someone who's been cooking their whole lives. So I think we achieve that because sometimes I go pretty deep into like esoteric pseudoscience of what's happening in the cooking process, which I find both humorous and 90% accurate. So therefore it is informationally strong and also fun to watch. <laughs> you mentioned food waste is the number one place where people can control their food expenses and food waste drives me bananas and mm -hmm. everybody wastes food. People on tight budgets waste food. People on big budgets probably waste even more food because it's not necessary to have the same kind of constraints on it. But nothing drives me more crazy than seeing, you know, a half finished smoothie in the trash can or my kids throwing away the peanut butter jar with a half cup of peanut butter left in the bottom that can easily make one or two peanut butter sandwiches. What are some of the things, some of the most common sense ways you can help people like avoid big food waste? I mean, I wish there were a simple answer, but there's not. Just like everything else in life, you've got to commit to it. The food waste thing is hard because it requires you to have, it's like billiards. If you just focus on getting one ball in and you don't think about the next shot, you're screwing yourself. You gotta have a kind of through line to the next three meals if you can. And that takes practice. And there's gonna be failure. And in this case, failure is some food thrown out. I don't think anybody can follow a recipe of any kind and end up with something inedible unless they like totally burn it. So we're not, you know, eat it. I'm sure you can make it better than the first time you try it. In fact, I find the biggest improvement between time number one and time number two. Yeah, you just have to commit some time. And listen, some people have busy lives. They're working two, three jobs. They don't have a second for themselves. But other people are complaining about not having enough money or spending too much of it while they're also devoting, and I don't want to get in trouble here, a lot of time to leisure consumption of media. And that is exactly the place where you can cut out some time take a little control back and do things. And you'll probably just be happier because now we go full circle again, self-satisfaction. You did a task, you feel good about it. I never feel good when I'm sitting absorbing other people's stuff all day long. It doesn't feel good. And the task that you're helping them with is inherently social. And it's not just social, but it's an act of service. It's an act of love when you cook for somebody else. It's what makes us human too. We're the only animals that cook our food. Except for dogs, they bury it and ferment it. They kind of like make their own kimchi. <laughs> Lovely. <Yeah. laughs> I think I've found some of that. Our French bulldog is working on his own kimchi in uh, our basement sofa. How do you feel about yeah. organic food? Is organic food worth the extra cost that uh, is inherent with the purchase? I mean, the, the quick answer is no, if you're eating vegetables. And then the longer answer is absolutely, if you believe we're all being poisoned by pesticides. I can give you an example. I uh, did three tournaments with uh, the world's best men's tennis player, whose name I will not say. And he likes to start every day with a liter of cold-pressed celery juice. Well, this particular mm. year, I had purchased up all of the organic celery juice in like 
a 10 block radius of, of where he was staying uh, in Manhattan to go to the U.S. Open. And so I got conventional celery. When I pressed it, 40 minutes later, there was a film of brown at the top. Ugh. Yeah. So that always eked me out. And I threw it away. And then the next day, I was like, sorry, can't give you this. And then the next day, I got organic and it wasn't there. What is that residue? I don't know. Is it becoming part of the DNA structure? Is it like, is it the water that the plant eating full of pesticides and poisoning it from the inside out? Is this why our teenage girls are hitting puberty five years earlier? Is this why infertility is so high? I don't know. So, yes, buy organic. But don't buy organic. It's a ripoff. <laughs> I'll tell you this. I get in tr- I have guinea pigs, and if I don't get organic for them, my wife freaks out. For your guinea pig. I know. Give me a break. It kind of freaks me out that my dog eats better than 98% of the human beings on planet Earth. Are we over the top on some of these healthy foods for both ourselves and for our pets? Listen, everything was organic until 60 years ago. That's the joke. So organic now, which costs a premium, is just what we've always had our entire existence on this planet. Yeah. That's the problem. This is probably not the answer you want. Listen, at the end of the day, if you're eating carrots that are sprayed with pesticides, I still think it's better than organic potato chips. Okay, let's get that straight. Right. So my wife and I, early in our marriage, had a fight about, or we constantly had a battle about eating organic and not eating organic, right? So I'd come home with the wrong carrots. I think you might have seen a clip of my joke about this. Early in our marriage, I would come home from the grocery store with the non-organic carrots. And she'd say, why'd you buy these? You know I like to eat organic. And I'd say, because the organic ones are $2 more and it's not worth it. And I was right. But thus would begin a conversation, and an hour later, I would find myself thinking, would I pay $2 to get out of this argument right now? And the answer is like, I'd pay anything to get out of this argument right now. You know, carrots are good for your eyes, but if you buy the wrong ones, they're bad for your ears. Buy the organic carrot. And at a certain point, as husbands do, I just now play the game. I go along to get along. It's not worth the fight, right? So that's why I buy organic. I really don't care. It's, I just it's, want to avoid fights. I think that's a great move. $2 more, avoid a fight. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Let's talk about the kitchen. What do people overspend on in the kitchen? And if I'm a new person setting up a new household and I'm on a limited yeah. budget, where should I invest my money? Uh, one good knife, a chef's knife that you'll have for your entire life, preferably with no bolster. I don't have a knife. What's here, a bolster? This is the blade. I have a screwdriver. Uh, if this is the blade coming out and, you know, there's that bit here that, like, protects this finger. Mm-hmm. If that's a big, fat piece of metal and you learn to sharpen it over the years, you start getting a divot at the end here because that big, fat piece of metal is not wearing away at the same rate as the rest of the mm-hmm. blade. And mm-hmm. that moves your sweet spot further and further forward until the knife looks, like, so janky. It's like this at the end. No bolster. I think a bench scraper is great. After you chop everything up, you can... Pick up all your ingredients, you know, scoop right under. Also really nice to just take all the crumbs off a cutting board, go right into the sink. I think people overspend on all the one-use gadgets. You don't need any of them. Like a garlic press, a lemon juicer. You've got a pretty technologically forward lemon juicer that you use on your show. Is that uh, tongs or is it a fork going into it? The lemon juicer of 7,500 or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's a, so it's so a the fork. fork goes in? Yeah, break it. Come on, what's wrong with that? <laughs> 
you're achieving the goal with a much simpler implement, right? Yeah, because a fork is universal for so many things, as a knife is. But a citrus squeezer can only do that job. That's the problem. And then you're like, I don't know, where's my sit? You get used. Ah, it's so dumb. Now, you need like a vegetable peeler, a chef's knife, maybe a bread knife, maybe a paring knife. But you can get away with just the chef's knife. You need a good cutting board, get a couple pots and pans, a bench scraper, a microplane. You don't even need spice grinders or mortar and pestle. I mean, you can just put herbs or spices out on a napkin, fold another one over and hit it lightly with a hammer. That's what I used to do back in the day. It works great. It's crushed. Mm. And you can split your countertops with that hammer if you do it with gusto. Gently, Paul. Gently. (laughs) With gusto! (laughs) (laughs) I get excited sometimes. What about taking care of your cookware? What are some mistakes people make in terms of not taking care of their cookware so it doesn't last as long as, as it should? The only thing that should wear away, regardless of the price you pay, is a nonstick pan. Because that's just, they're inherently, they're like brake pads. They're going to get used. They're going to mm-hmm. get used up. The surface is going to come off. So if that annoys you, then you need to get a carbon steel pan or a cast iron pan. I like the carbon steel more lately. It's a much smoother surface. And, and once you polymerize the fats into it, it is nonstick. Nothing else should be wearing away to be honest. So the dishwasher is a big offender, although I don't know how many people watching my show have a dishwasher. It's mostly city people, I feel like, that don't have a dishwasher. Yeah. I mean, my knife, it's like wash, wash. I have a little brush, brush, brush. Mm -hmm. That's it. Doesn't need to spend two hours in the dishwasher so that the handle and the knife blade expand and contract at different rates and eventually develop micro cracks that break the thing apart. And no. No. Do you and your wife agree on the proper way to load the dishwasher? Mm. I got this really cool pack that I wear on my back when I mountain bike. Uh-huh. And I didn't finish the water. See, I'm not wasting. Oh, nice. Well done. I thought you were vaping there. It's first no, 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 no. No, no, no. Come on. I'm an elite athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. I think I am when I'm riding alone. She's getting better about it. You know, sometimes she'll put the plate right in the middle. That drives me nuts. I'm like, start from the side. Start all the way from the left and come to the right. Uh, we have these knives that have like a crevice on one side. If you, if you put it that way, pools of water. I'm like, they got to go this way. This morning I watched her put it the right way. She goes, I'm learning. I'm like, yes, you are. Thank you so much. Why do you think some people load the dishwasher properly and some people don't? Uh, practice again. Or they don't do, yeah, they don't do it often. They don't think about it. They don't see on the other end. When I wake up early, I go downstairs, I see the things that didn't get cleaned. Or if you don't rinse it and then you leave it there for two days before you turn it on, I don't care what type of soap you're using. It ain't coming off. And I'm like, yeah, don't put wood in there. Did I answer your question? I don't think I did. <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I just have this whole, I, this obsession with the dishwasher and a, and a conflict with my wife about the proper way to load it. Well, what is she doing correctly, according to you? She's inviting chaos into the world. That's what she's doing, by the way. She loads the dishwasher. And I have a high need for order on the planet. How so? Like two plates touching together with no space between them? These kinds no, of No, 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 no. It's just a, 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 an absurd lack of symmetry or alignment, a lack of concern for the percentage of utilization before she runs it. Just all kinds of things that demonstrate to me my anal retentive need for order in a a chaotic world about which I can do nothing. But in the kitchen, I have the opportunity for, you know, for order to reign as I see fit. That's, that's all I'm saying. 
I'm just having flashbacks to my mom, like, throwing bags in the back of the car. My dad being like, this can't be this way. Taking every bag out and, like, putting it back in. So things, he's like, now I can see out the back. Because we had a station wagon, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's a male trait. I have no idea. And yet women are tidier than we are in general, I would say. Hey, everybody, I want to let you know I'll be right back with Frankie in just a second. But here are some show dates I have coming up. April 22nd, I'll be at the Laughing Skull Lounge in Atlanta, Georgia. April 30th, I will be at the Laugh Factory in Chicago on Patty Vasquez's show at 7 p.m. and their general show at 9 p.m. May 24th, I will be opening for Rocky Dale Davis at the Punchline Atlanta doing lots of private country club events in the meantime. But I also have, I'll be headlining the Comedy Catch in Chattanooga, Tennessee, June 23rd and 24th, and co-headlining with Paul Fahar, co-headlining the Charlotte Comedy Zone on July 23rd. By all means, come out and see me and or tell your friends in those locations to do that instead of you or with you or you know what I mean. Thanks. Bye. All right, Frankie, now it's time for a segment I called Transparently Contrived Questions for Social Media. Are you ready? Okay. These are a series yes, of sir. quick questions. Number one, besides you, who is your favorite celebrity chef? Uh, oh, damn, I am not doing this quickly, am I? <laughs> uh, who do I really like right now? We're going to start over again. Besides you, who is your most favorite celebrity chef? Uh, Jamie Oliver from the late 90s. There you go. Very current. Thank you. Number two, best wine to pair with frozen pizza? The right wine, which is any wine. Number three, the most important appliance or device in the kitchen is? Uh, Stovetop. Stovetop. Yes. Okay. I thought you meant the stuffing. No. Your number (laughs) one, your number one restaurant pet peeve is? When I'm with people and they send something back over a very minor infraction, it drives me insane. The best guitarist of the rock era? Probably Van Halen. Stevie Ray, Van Halen. I was listening to Eruption today. You did listen to Eruption? That is so good. Yeah, it's good. Do you want to give us a little bit of air guitar, a little bit of Eruption? Can we... Oh, I can give you... I mean, listen, I can't do Eruption, but I can I can give you a little maybe something. Let's see what we got here. <laughs> Thunderstruck? Can you, can you play Thunderstruck? I don't know what that is. That's a song by ACDC. Uh... Oh, that one? Um, I just make that up. Or does he just I think you like made that up. All right. Lastly, fill in the blank. The only thing better than winning an Emmy is? Uh, achieving happiness. Right. I, I wrote that question. And I'm like, there's probably a lot of things better than winning an Emmy. I mean, I mean, winning an Emmy is pretty amazing. Listen, but it's like- justification. You know, if you suffer from uh, a little bit of imposter syndrome, which I definitely have, you know, I'm looking at it right now. I moved it up here because I had it on a mantle. I was like, that's shiny. Now I'm staring at it and I'm like, every time I get distracted, I'm like, they, they gave you the Emmy, Frankie. Work harder. Tune into the radio station. W-O-R-K. Go. Where does the imposter syndrome come from? You're doing what you want to do. You're very authentic on camera. I mean, I don't know you, but I watch and go like, oh, this is a guy I want to hang out with. This seems like a fun guy who's doing what he loves and cares about. So why do you have imposter syndrome? It must be trying to make a living in the arts and just knowing that those are always the first things to go south when people's discretionary spending stops. And that scares me because it's like, why do they want to either directly or indirectly give me their money? 
And does that mean, where, where do I go now? I have no skills to work anywhere else. In this era, now, I know that Tastemate, and by the way, I've, I'm good friends with a lot of the folks from Tastemate. I've been long been a, a fan and a supporter of the company. But just, let's just say that, you know, in this disintermediated media world, you have the opportunity to connect with fans being you authentically without having to have a $5 million production budget or something. Like, if it all went away, you could still be you and hopefully connect and monetize that through social media and YouTube and stuff like that. Does that... 100%. Does it still worry you like on an existential level? Holy crap. What if this show goes away? I mean, I, I'm always thinking far ahead. I remember when I was like five or six years into doing this stuff, I had only broken even. It was cool. I lived in Soho. I paid a thousand dollars a month for 10 years for this apartment. And then they sold the wow. for $37 million and knocked it down. But that thousand dollars a month enabled me to do a lot of cool, like I could just do little gigs here and there and and do the TV show and it didn't matter. Okay, now I'm 37, things things do matter. But I remember being like, man, six years, it's still not really working out financially. I mean, people give me money to spend on this show and then I spend it all on the show, even though I'm doing like eight jobs and not hiring anybody. Mm -hmm. So so I started like Googling uh, people that I respect that have killed it in various areas of the world. And what I saw is it takes like eight to 12 years before you even hear who they are. And that was like, huh. that that was like, all right, Frankie, just like go a little more. And I'm glad I didn't quit at that point. But I'm definitely hitting the second phase or third phase because phase one was always try to make media happen so that there's avatars of me being out there getting attention for then me to I don't know what now phase two is capture them on a. I guess a secondary funnel or something. It's crazy that I cook food and I play music and I have to like know all this business stuff too. It's a, it's a weird, wild world out there. Yeah. You know, where do you get your inspiration? Like, well, how do you continue to come up with new ideas? I mean, restaurants, you go to restaurants and you try things out. Now, I'll give you an example. In Southern Italy, they've got this dish called pepperonato, which is, uh, as far as I know, like the only bell pepper centric dish that I can think of other than maybe like gazpacho and it's delicious and, and they roast it and it's got olives in it and it uh, some sherry wine or vinegar and it's, it's salty and it's savory and it's very bright in color and on this last trip to LA they had a spaghetti with pepperonata like blended to a smooth puree and then burrata and pistachios and mm. I had it like five times it was so good like bright orange looking and so i i tried to make it i just did an instagram of it yeah it's so easy it's as easy as you'd think and yet i've never had it before so tasty you've got an interesting perspective as somebody that's worked at very high-end restaurants and somebody that's making a food about creating healthy nutritious affordable food how do you feel about the commercialization of gastronomy Define commercialization because a lot of that sounded a little highfalutin, I guess. Super high end, expensive restaurants, restaurants as destinations and experience. You know, people that it kind of like the. I assume you saw the movie The Menu. I was just going to bring it up before you even said it. I was like, well, that is very apropos. Yes, I think that that social commentary makes so much sense for right now. Why? Tell me why. What did you see when you saw The Menu? 
Because early on when I was young, you know, I heard about Alinea and they were doing all this crazy stuff. And, you know, I, I flew out to Chicago to go spend $1,200 on a dinner for two and flew back. And it's the only time I ever went to Chicago at that point, And it absolutely blew my mind. If I had put that $1,200 in any stock in the S&P 500 <laughs> instead, I would definitely have high five figures now, maybe even six, right. you know, if it were Apple or Tesla. But I chose to have that experience. I thought it was interesting. And they were like combining sounds and light with, you know, smell and, and all these things. And and then I did 11 Madison Park a couple of years ago. And uh, I did it with a wine pairing. And I just remember getting home and I, and I totally overdrank. And I just like threw up into a Cambro container, which is the restaurant container with the court measures. And I, yeah. look, this is disgusting. I know, but it got to three courts. And I was just like... <laughs> I just like threw up all this. That's the like, I never throw up from drinking, but it's too much alcohol. And then you're like, I'm spending much. I should, you know, and then you have to like try to like be a certain way the whole time, not get sloppy because you're in a place like this. But it is absurd because the people that can afford to go to those restaurants have never real, you know, I'm generally speaking, but they've definitely never worked a service job in the last three decades, if at all. And then you have the group of people that are working in the restaurants that really truly believe that they're, you know, they love hospitality and they love doing all this stuff, but it's designed for them to never get out of that. And they just work so, so hard. And that's why I said earlier, maybe it's not great to bring a six pack into the back anymore. There's like serious alcohol problem in the restaurant business and depression. And so they, you know, this has been documented for a long time. Bourdain brought everyone, uh, brought the awareness to it with the Kitchen Confidential. And so, yeah, the menu makes a lot of sense right now. The menu makes a lot of sense. If you haven't seen that movie, absolutely check it out. What do you think the point of it is the disdain between the artist and the unappreciative consumer? Is that? I, I don't even think it's that. I think it's literally the wealth gap defined in a meal. Right. It's so absurd. It's so absurd. Who's the best combination or where have you experienced the kind of like amazing cooking and yet the kind of... Where do you feel like you have the best food experience in a restaurant? It's not at one of those restaurants. It's not at 11 Medicine Park. It's probably not at Applebee's. All fairness to Applebee's. Like, <laughs> where do the two things come together where you're like, oh, shit, that was so good. It was so interesting. The food was cooked with love and creativity, and the staff served me, and I feel, yeah. I feel better after I walked out than when I walked in. What kind of a restaurant do you get that from? I mean, 11 Madison can make you feel that way. But just objectively, every dish, I'm just thinking to myself, this must have taken forever and seven people. I'm like, <laughs> that is absurd. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can answer your question directly, but I can tell you this. I shoot struggle meals in California. I right. live on the East Coast. When I have nights off, my crew sometimes eats with me, but I also don't want to subject them to listening to me more because they already listen to me talk 12 hours a day on camera while they're all quiet. It's insane. So I eat out a lot alone and I sit at bars. I went to two like hip Italian restaurants. I mean, one gave me, they both gave me all three dishes at the same time. That annoyed me. And like the food was good, but I, I did a... <sighs> Why'd they do that? I think because they want me out because I'm one person. You know, or I don't look hip enough or I'm not wearing certain clothing. I like Los Angeles, but when you go to the hip places, that whole Hollywood vanity thing is taken to the nth degree. And so if I come in a little disheveled, they're like, who is this guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. And 
And he's sitting by himself. What a loser. Let's get him out of here. So I order a salad. I order wine. The salad and wine come. I'm literally taking my first bite and my house extruded pasta and my schnitzel come out immediately. And now I'm like, shit, these are both expiring texturally. And I have to like just play this like carousel game of take a bite from each while they all slowly decay. And then the next thing I know, I have a bill in 38 minutes and it's like $110. I still tip them 25% because these are my people. And the food was good, but that sucked. So I didn't like it. I'd much rather go to a B or B plus restaurant where they treat me nicely. Because it's the combination of all these feels, right? That's what I would say. Do you have an example of a restaurant where you walked out feeling that way? I mean, it happens all the time. I keep going back to those restaurants. Those are the ones I like. Those are the ones where I'm a regular. Right. How did you feel about the bear? I had COVID while I was watching it. I blasted through (laughs) it. It gave me a fair bit of anxiety, but I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I liked how, you know, the whole kitchen crew was very fragmented. And then he eventually got them all together at the end. And uh, I won't spoil how the season ended, but I thought it was his brother turned out to be not such a schmuck with the money after all. (laughs) <laughs> mm. oh season two you've already seen season two no no season one at the end remember how it ended oh that was season one they were in debt they haven't paid these guys this and that or whatever and uh what did my brother do with all the money do you remember or you don't remember i do forgot remember? i remember who the brother is he's that he like he like stored it in all the cans of tomatoes don't you remember and they <laughs> opened it up to make like instead of now they stopped making this high-end food they're like we're gonna make what we're known for but better and they start cracking up in the cans of tomatoes and there's just like benjamins everywhere Right, like, right, ah! right. I think that's how it ended, if I recall. I think you're probably right. I've forgotten about that. I, all I, <laughs> I remember is I loved, I loved the season. I thought it was great. I thought it was shot with energy and passion, and, and it was fun and funny. And I think when I watched that, as somebody who doesn't cook, how did you feel about the main character's skills as a chef? Did he represent what a chef should look like? I don't know if he represented what a chef should look like, but I also don't think you can define what anyone should look like in any field. Well, I don't mean he like... Was, he was look, saying I, the I right his, words. But his actions, his his methods, did they look legit? Yeah, they made sense. He would like say, oh, don't do it this way, do it that way, because that's better, whatever. Well, this is the way I've always done it, but this is the right way. When Harold McGee wrote On Food and Cooking, that mm-hmm. I think that was in the late 80s, that's when everyone said, oh, this is science. This is not we do it this way because chef said so. And so that really right. changed a lot of things. But before that, all the fine dinings was we do it this way because chef said so. And then this next wave which had a lot, you know, Jose Jose Andres and Grant Ackett's and uh, Ferran Adria, where they did the molecular gastronomy or the modernist cuisine, whatever you want to call it. That's when they really took that Harold McGee idea to the next thing. So I, I forgot the bear's name. What was his name? I can't remember. Well, whatever. He brought a little bit of that. No, no, no. Scientifically, it makes more sense to do it this way. Do it this way. You know what I mean? Right. Okay, speaking of books, give me three books on cooking, restaurants, food, etc. that the casual person can read and learn a lot about the category. I think On Food and Cooking is just fun to read, period. The bit on milk and homogenization in the United States about how it makes the fat globules small enough that it can get into your bloodstream, and that's why our milk is less healthy than European milk, blew my mind. (laughs) Their globules are so big, it doesn't get into the bloodstream, it doesn't cause plaque. It's like nuts. So that's an interesting book to read for sure. Um, I really like any Marcella Hazan book. Just the way, even though she cooked me lunch once, which was pretty cool. 
her husband was actually the person. Together, Marcella Hazan was Victor and Marcella. But they would just say really quaint things like, Black pepper, three twists of the mill. You know, and I just thought that was <laughs> so cute. And mostly has a story for every recipe in the book, which I really like. I feel like when Food Network hit like second wave, all the all the chefs on TV were like, this is my lasagna. My, you know, we like lost history and everyone's trying to brand everything as theirs because everybody's working on their own personal brand. But I like the historical element about how things evolved because that's actually what happened. And nothing is anybody's. It is ironic that you can't copyright a recipe. Don't you think that? Or a joke. So, okay, yeah, or a joke. So Marcella on food and cooking. And uh, let's see, what could be the third one that's very interesting? What do I have over here right now? I'm looking at a Jacques Pepin book. Oh, Peter Reinhardt, The Baker's Apprentice is an awesome bread book. Yeah. It really is. What do I learn about bread in that book? Uh, hydration, uh, instant and active dried yeast, how to make things awesome, enriched breads, good, really good focaccias, good dinner rolls you can make at home really easily. Just like mm. smart stuff. That's a great bread book. I just got a call from my brother. He's bringing his family in for Easter on Sunday. I don't know what to make for him. Frankie, what do I do? He's got two kids, 13 and 11, and his wife, she's picky sometimes. Love you, Alexandra. But seriously, what do I do? Where do I go? What do I prep for these guys? I think you should get an entire leg of lamb. And if anyone thinks that lamb is gamey, you're actually going to do some things that you would think make it taste more gamey, but they don't. You're going to take that leg of lamb, okay, Paul? You're going to take a little paring yep. knife and you're going to shove it into the leg and twist it like every two inches or yeah. so. And you're going to put like half an anchovy and some rosemary and garlic into those holes, okay? And then you're going to salt the whole leg of lamb and you're going to rub it with mustard. Mustard has antioxidants yes. that get rid of the gaminess. If you serve this with like a jasmine rice that's got mint and lemon zest underneath, and you mm -hmm. cook that like a lamb, medium rare, use a, a, a leave-in thermometer, by the way. That's a good splurge kitchen item. Have that thing in so you can watch that temperature rise. Yeah, if you, if you get it, you know, because the it tapers the leg of lamb, you'll have well done, you'll have medium, and you'll have medium rare. More so if you cook at a higher temperature, just based on the speed that things cook. But I think everyone should have a nice thing there, and you got and put butter in that rice too. Butter, lemon, mint. But Sounds why good. do those things like anchovies that sound like it would make it gamier? What does it do to make it more palatable for people who might not like lamb? And I love lamb. Umami, salt. It's salt. If you overuse it, and they're bad anchovies, they taste bad. But even if they're bad anchovies, and you use it in the right amount, it just je ne sais quoi. Like, what is that salt you're using? It's like natural MSG. It's not like natural MSG. It is natural MSG. Mm -hmm. MSG is fine, by the way. Is it? Oh, you don't know this? No. I've always heard it's, it's bad. It's scientifically proven. I know. What about genetically modified grains and uh, vegetables? The thing that's screwy about them is they changed a gene so that it could be resistant to the spray. So it comes as a unit, right? So they spray it and it doesn't kill the plant because the plant already knows but maybe the spray's getting in there. Now we're back to the celery thing that we were talking about. But there's two kinds of genetically modified food. There's the ones that happen in the lab, and then there's the ones we've been doing for thousands of years where you literally splice plants together. And you get things like uh, sumo oranges and tangelos and uh, caolini. 
Bill Nye, the science guy, said that uh, GMO in a lab is not going to hurt us. Mm. I tend to believe him. But Europe has outlawed it, so I don't know. (laughs) All right, man. Well, last question. Do you feel rich? No, not right now. Do you? The reason I asked that question is just to find out how people define rich. Uh, And I realized that as I was saying it. I was like, financially, no. But on a personal level, yes. I feel accomplished and the happiest I've felt in the last four years. I feel like I got good momentum happening right now. Uh, Yeah, but my wife just lost her job and now I'm paying for Cobra and making up for, you know, that deficit also. Cobra is not cheap. I've been there. It's not. Well, you're doing good work, sir. I think you're spreading joy. I think you're spreading uh, inspiration. So remind our listeners where everybody can find Struggle Meals and learn more about you. Yeah, Struggle Meals is uh, it's available exclusively on Taste Made, and you probably have the channel because they've got the distribution. And now we're just trying to let everyone know that they have it. But there's a million places you can watch it. You can go to tastemade.com slash live and it'll it'll list it all up there. And we air on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock is when the new episodes start. And then we usually go a marathon after that. And we've got 100 half-hour shows now, which my math says means 400 recipes. So that you can achieve endless inspiration for the improvisational dishes that you will create at home. With a smile on your face. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's uh, fun. It's accessible. And the meals look fantastic. I'm going to try one with my daughter next week. Frankie, thanks so much for your time. And best of luck with the season. We'll put links to that in the show notes. Paul, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. And thanks for everyone for listening. All righty. Thanks so much to Frankie and for the team at Tastemade for making Frankie available. I've got a great love for the Tastemade brand. I was there when it was founded. I didn't do anything. I just kind of watched as uh, Stephen, Joe, and Larry figured out what their strategy would be for putting together a content business in the food space. And they were early. They were really early in this independent content production business. And it's highly gratifying to see good guys who work hard, have their vision accomplished. And so congrats to the Tastemate guys for creating such cool content. I'm going to watch with my daughter in the next couple of days. We're going to cook a meal together uh, with Frankie as the inspiration. Hey guys, if you haven't yet subscribed to my Substack, which is a newsletter platform that you can go and subscribe to and then get week bi-weekly. Yes, bi-weekly thoughts from me, money and the meaning of life. And uh, the meaning of life is broadly interpreted. It incorporates everything from how much I weigh to um, what I want to be when I grow up. I put a lot of heart into the writing and I think you'll enjoy them. I'm still continuing to try to figure out who I want to be online, how I can show up online in an authentic way that doesn't make me hate myself. I know some people have figured that out and it's good for them. Like Leah Rudick, who was on last week, the wealthy woman, she's created this amazing, hilarious, genuine character and it's really working for her. I haven't cracked the code yet on the Instagram and the TikTok. I know how to write. I feel good about what I write. And I think it really helps me sort through the way I think about things. And the feedback has been really, really positive. Uh, It's a free subscription if you want to pay a few extra bucks on top of the free part to help subsidize the production of crazy money. That's greatly appreciated, but it's not appreciated any more than the people who give me feedback and share the writings with with their friends and other people who might be interested in consuming some of the stuff I put a lot of thought and love into. So the link to Substack is in the show notes. Click there, 
hit subscribe and goodness for me will be coming to your inbox in the next two weeks. Hope you're great. Hope you have a great day. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Until then, Mike Carano, make me sound smart.